the power of the tongue. The tongue is kind of a weird thought or title. Some of us think of people razzing others with a tongue. Like people do that and they're trying to be kind of a kind of smart uh, and so forth. If you are a Dodger fan, some of you, how many of you know Yasiel Puig? All right. Anyway, Yasiel Puig is the right fielder for the Los Angeles Dodgers and he, he tends to stick his tongue out a lot. Like he'll slide into third base and he'll go, (laughs) and he does something else weird. He licks his bat in between pitches. No, we don't know what's going on in Yasiel's mind, but it's a rather strange thing. Some of you can remember going to the doctor and the doctor would say, say, ah, and he could look at your tongue and look at your mouth and be able to detect sickness maybe in the rest of your body through what ap- appeared on your tongue. No joke. And so this is what we're talking about today. We're talking about the tongue. And the tongue actually in the Bible is a word that is synonymous with language. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm nothing. So the tongue becomes a picture of language. And language is a great gift of God. Some years ago, I was visiting uh, an old friend in the hospital, and he was very sick, and he had a breathing machine on his face, and it looked like he was going to die. At the time, he was only in his 30s, and I had come for a hospital visit, and we had a history together, and we had been done in Bible studies together and had some special times, and he was trying to communicate with me, but he couldn't talk. And I think he was trying to communicate the urgency of what was on his heart because he had had a fall as a Christian. And part of the reason that he ended up in that hospital bed is bad decisions he had made even after becoming a Christian. And he couldn't get the words out, but all he could get out was his tears. And it was so frustrating to, to watch him try to communicate with me. And I think he was trying to share some of the deepest things that he had discovered over the last couple of years, and he couldn't get it out. You know, so many of us, we take our tongues for granted. We take language for granted. Language is a gift from God. The fact that you could say to your loved one, I love you, is a gift. The power of words uh, can edify and they can tear down. There's a Hebrew word for the tongue called lahan. And it means you can either establish or basically ruin somebody with your tongue. The book of Ephesians tells us that our words can either edify or they can tear down. And it ties us actually grieving the Holy Spirit with the words that we use. If there are non-edifying words, if they're unwholesome speech, it actually hurts the Spirit of God. It wounds the Holy Spirit. And yet all of us, even after becoming Christians, would say that many, many times we have made mistakes with our tongues. We have, we have used language not to edify, but to tear down. God himself, when he was creating the world, the universe, spoke the universe into existence and showed us the power of words. Now, we don't have that power, obviously. We can't create our own reality. But God has given us language to be able to do some significant things. You all know that With the tongue, people have really changed the course of the world. One writer says, 
Adolf Hitler moved a nation to do the unthinkable by his hypnotic cadences and demonically energized hate speech, while Winston Churchill, by his brilliant measured utterances, pulled a faltering nation together for its finest hour. The power of speech, the power of the tongue. Churchill would say something like this, if you're going through hell, keep going. He would say, never, never, never give up. He would say, success consists of going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. He would say, history is written by the victors. He went on to say, never give in, never give in, never, 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 in nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. And he stirred a faltering nation. And many a preacher have stood in pulpits over the years where great awakenings happened because the Lord used the tongue to switch the tide of families and individuals and to call them to mission. And of course, the ultimate example of this is Jesus Christ. Even his enemy said, never did a man speak like him. And with his words, he never wrote a book course, the Bible is his uh, product, but he never wrote a book physically in his lifetime. There was no video footage of him, and yet he changed the entire world. His Sermon on the Mount, his incredible words of compassion and truth and justice in the right time and in the right sense changed the world. His words have changed your life and mine. In fact, when I walked into a church Some decades ago, it was his words that stirred me to faith and belief. And now we are his body. We are his hands and his feet on the earth. But more than that, we are his mouth. He's asked us to go and make disciples of all the nations. He's told us to profess the gospel. He's told us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And he says through Paul, how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? And then he says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. In your life, you're going to have decisions every day of the week every week of the month, and so on, to decide how you're going to use this little instrument. And the book of James is going to challenge us to use it for good, to use it to establish rather than to tear down. In Psalm 12, David says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak falsehood to one another with flattering lips, and with a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things, who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? That's Psalm 12, 1 through 4. In Psalm 15, David writes, O Lord, who may abide in thy tent? Who may dwell on thy holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. In Psalm 35, 28, David said, And my tongue shall declare your righteousness and your praise all the day long. First Peter 3, 10 says, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips 
from deceitful speech, 1 Peter 3.10. If you look back in the book of James for a second, James has already addressed this a few times. In James 1, verse 19, he said, take a look with me, this you know, my beloved brethren, James 1.19, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to what? Slow to speak and slow to anger. In verse 26 of the same chapter, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. And so James has kind of set the table for what he's going to give us, and this is now more depth about the power of language or the power of the tongue. I'm going to give you an outline. Um, I will just lay it before you, and then we'll go through it. First of all, he's going to say that the tongue needs to be controlled. That's chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. He's going to say the tongue is small but mighty in its impact. Though small, it can turn a massive group in a certain direction. That's chapter 3, verse 4. He's going to say the tongue is like a spark that starts a forest fire. It is a small spark but can have large, devastating consequences. That's verses 5 and 6. He's going to say the tongue is humanly untamable in verses 7 and 8. And then he's going to say the tongue is not used as it ought to be used. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who are made in his image. So you can see that there's a lot of powerful stuff coming up. First, he starts with the teachers, because I think teachers in this assembly were quite a danger. In fact, some of them had a said faith. Some of them were misrepresenting saving faith. And so James says, as he opens chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we, and James includes himself, shall incur stricter judgment. Maybe you've seen recently that Jesse Duplantis, who is a word faith teacher, he is on television, came to his audience and said that God has told him that they need to provide money that he can buy a $54 million jet. And so he says, if the Lord was here on the earth today, I guarantee you he wouldn't ride a donkey. That's Jesse Duplantis. Jesse may want to read his Bible again because there were other animals available in Jesus' own time, and yet he rode a donkey. But that's another story. I went on Jesse Duplantis' Facebook page, and you wouldn't believe the ire coming from people in the Christian community and outside of it. The people outside the Christian community, some of which sounded like they once went to, went to church and now do not, used it as ammunition to say, it's all a hoax. These preachers are all a bunch of liars and thieves. Look at this guy. He's had three jets, and now he wants a fourth for 54 million bucks, and he's going to force basically his audience to give it to him, and they'll probably do it because there's a bunch of gullible Christians on the planet. And it is a sad commentary, and I'll tell you what, I don't know if Jesse Duplantis believes that he's going to stand before God on Judgment Day. But God says, through James, don't, many of you should not become teachers, my brethren, because teachers shall incur the stricter judgment. Here's the deal. The main tool of my ministry is right here. It's my mouth. And with the many words that I speak personally, there are many opportunities to stumble. I do not think that James is dissuading young up-and-coming preachers because the book of 1 Timothy says, he who desires to be an elder, it's a beautiful thing that he desires. But James is saying, measure your motivation. 
measure whether or not you want to enter the ministry for the limelight and the notoriety or because you truly want to lead people to Christ, whether you speak to five, to 50, to 500, to 5,000 or 50,000, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that you are faithful, a faithful steward of the gospel. It is required of a steward that he be found faithful. The judgment that James speaks of is a scrutiny by the Lord. He is going to measure what we said and the impact of our words. Our words can bring the hope of the gospel, the whole counsel of God to people, or our words can be deceptive. And many a man over the centuries has entered the ministry and been a deceiver, used words to maybe water down the gospel or lead people astray. And I'll just say, if you are doing that, stop. Because there is going to be a judgment and the Lord of the church is going to assess your work. There is a grave responsibility and a great responsibility. I see it as a privilege to preach God's word, but it is not to be taken lightly and it is not to be entered in with the wrong motive. There's going to be a greater degree of judgment for teachers on that day. You could say at the Bema seat of Jesus Christ. Teachers have great influence on a great number of people. But if they represent God and are, they represent God and are to speak forth the truth, if they are in it for the wrong reasons, they can stumble many. Thus the great impact of our words. Look at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says... He is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. NIV says, able to keep his whole body in check. Now, we all have stumbled in many ways. We're all here because this is a hospital for sinners, right? We're all a work in progress. This sermon is not about whether or not you're not going to make a, a mistake with your mouth from this day forward. You are. But hopefully those mistakes are going to be few and far between. Hopefully what's happening to you is God has gotten a hold of your tongue as he's gotten a hold of your heart. And that's the essence of it. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We have all had our moments in a heated uh, exchange with a loved one, in a moment of weakness. We've all made mistakes and we've we will continue to do so. There's no perfect people. But if there are anybody perfect here this morning, I'd like to give you the opportunity to stand at this moment and come up here and preach the rest of this sermon. Anybody? Okay, I didn't think so. Um, some, a pastor from years gone by said, uh, Does anybody, has anybody ever met a perfect man? And one man, to his surprise, rose up in the congregation. And he said, Yes, I have. My spouse's first husband. Every time I hear about him, I hear he was perfect. Anyway. There are no perfect people. We all know. How many of you can say I've stumbled over my tongue many, many times? And just when I think I've got it down and I've arrived as a Christian, then I say something silly. Something hurtful. Sometimes we're shocked at what can actually come out of our mouth even after we've become Christians. Psalm 37, 30 says, The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. Warren Wiersbe tells of the story 
tells the story of a pastor friend who told him of a woman in his congregation who was a terrible gossip. One day she said to him, Pastor, the Lord has convicted me of my sin of gossip. My tongue is getting me and others into trouble. When he guardedly asked, well, what do you, what do you plan to do about it? She replied, I want to put my tongue on the altar. Because she said, uh, she had said the same thing so many times to this pastor. He told her, there isn't an altar big enough. Ooh, I know all God's people said, ouch. Now, verse 3, if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Now, James is a, he's a meticulous, uh, incredible user of images. And the first image is of a horse. Now, I've never really been into riding horses. Some of you from Norco are. And uh, you know more about the bit than I do. But with the little bit, I understand it goes on the tongue, and which is interesting, and it controls the animal. So you could have a huge 1,500-pound animal, and you can move the animal in the direction that you want it to go with a little bit on its mouth. I said, Psalm 39.1, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. Sometimes we just have to say, Lord, keep me quiet right now because there's so much I want to say. Words are forming in the back of my mind right now. Help. Ever been there before? Help them not to escape since my tongue is caged behind my teeth for a reason. And since it is slippery back there, sometimes it just slips out. (laughs) Lord, lock the cage. Help me. And like a horse, we can direct our tongue and we can say something like this. Whoa, Wilbur. Whoa. Right? Pull the reins back. You want to say something dumb, but how many times that word or that sentence has gotten you in trouble? It's not been good. It's taken you off the edge of the cliff. Can I give you the image? Whoa. Just stop it. Once when Dr. Pearson was in George Mueller's study, he took a glance into his Bible he was leafing through it and he came to Psalm 37, 23 that says, the steps of a good man are ordered by Jehovah. He noticed that George Mueller had written by the side of that verse in his margin, and the stops. If our tongues know when to go and when to stop, then our whole bodies, our whole personalities will know when to move and when to stop. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and the stops of a good man and or woman are ordered by the Lord. Sometimes you just need to stop. If you don't say it, you won't get in trouble. And all God's people said, Amen. Mm -hmm. Psalm 141 verse 3 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I was thinking that maybe a good application is every morning, some of you have gotten in the routine of putting on the armor of God. Some of you have gotten in the routine of saying, Lord, here I am. I present myself as a living sacrifice. I present my body. Would you now include your tongue? Maybe you should stick it out and say, Ah, divine physician, give me the words. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing unto you today. 
just today. I'm not going to worry about yesterday. I can't change it. If I need to ask for forgiveness, of course. I can't control tomorrow, but today my tongue is on the altar. And I think you might see that your life will change. The next image is a ship. Behold, the ships, or take ships as an example, NIV, verse 4. Though they are so great, they're very large, and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder. Wherever the inclination of the pilot desires, or wherever the steersman wishes to take it, the NEB says. So the second image, from a horse to a ship. We have a small rudder, and it could be this incredible vessel. There's a thousand people on board, but the captain can steer the vessel with a little rudder and move this huge ship in a certain direction. And it mentions, notice in verse 4, in the midst of strong winds. May I suggest that it's in the times of strong blowing winds of difficulty, persecution, financial stress, health challenges, difficulty in relationships, in those strong winds where our tongues really reveal who we are. Amen? In the strong currents, blowing your ship around, where do you steer it with your mouth? Where do you steer your family, brother? Do you say, let's pray? Do you speak words of faith and comfort to your spouse when maybe they're experiencing some doubts? To a friend, you're leading a company. It's been tough times. You get everybody together and you say, oh, there's power in this. Let's, I'm going to steer the vessel in this direction. Though the winds be blowing hard, here's where we're going, family. Here's where we're going, company. Here's where we're going, friend. Because the Lord has given me faith We have to be careful with our words, especially when storm winds blow. And this is, of course, connected to teachers and those with influence. We have to be careful what we say. There's a story of a woman who early one morning made a mad dash out of the house when she heard the garbage truck pulling away. She was still in her bathrobe. She had her hair wrapped in big curlers. Her face was covered with sticky cream. She was wearing a chin strap and a beat-up old pair of slippers. In short, she was a frightful picture. When she reached the sidewalk, she called out to the garbage man, Am I too late for the garbage? Am I too late for the garbage? The reply came back, No, hop right in. (laughs) Now, in moments where storm winds blow, we have decisions to make about words that we're going to use. How many of you have had someone write you an encouraging note, express a thought in a card at a critical moment, and it changed the whole trajectory of your life. One good word, maybe one Bible verse at a key moment, one rhema word in Ephesians. It talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and it uses the, not logos, but rhema. It's a precise, effective word in the moment to encourage someone or to share or defend yourself. So, also in the same way, verse 5, he's given us illustrations, horse the bit, the ship, the rudder. In the same way, the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. Behold how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. In Southern California, we know about fires, right? We have seasons where fires are epidemics. And sometimes we'll turn on the news and there's fires burning in multiple locations. And they often take it back to a singular moment where someone maybe flicked a cigarette 
or they didn't put out a campfire properly. And then we've had some people who are arsonists. And on purpose, they will light something on fire and the damage is absolutely devastating. Acre upon acre, homes and lives are devastated and destroyed by wildfires. Sometimes taken back just to a silly decision by one person. A spark causes a big fire. The Chicago fire started this way. At nine, uh, one Sunday evening, October 8th, 1871, Poor Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked over the lantern as she was being milked, starting the Great Chicago Fire, which blackened three and one-half miles of the city, destroyed over 17,000 buildings before it was checked by gunpowder explosions on the south line of the fire. The fire lasted two days and killed over 250 people. The Great Chicago Fire, a cow kicking over a lantern. And I think you all see the implication Angry words spoken in a moment. Uh, One little spark, one little word, and it catches something, and all of a sudden it begins to spread. It could be a rumor, it could be gossip, it could be hate speech, and all of a sudden it becomes a wildfire, and many people are devastated by one word, one spark. And yet, on the positive note, so many people can be helped by one encouraging word. Proverbs 16.27 says, A worthless man digs up evil while his words are a scorching fire. Proverbs 16, 27. You've all heard the idea of inflammatory statements, inflammatory, the flame. Or sometimes we'll hear somebody tear somebody else down and we'll say, Ooh, he burned you. What a burn. Right? And what's that all about? It's about destroying others. Proverbs 17, 27 says, He who restrains his words has knowledge. He who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. And so the application is, when the flame is getting hot, cool it down, pour water on it. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the living waters afresh so that you don't say something that's going to spark a fight or spark a wound. The tongue is a fire, verse 6. The very world of iniquity or injustice or moral wrongness The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. Some see a secondary reference to the church body and take it back to the teachers in verse 1. And sets on fire the course of our life. It sets the whole course of his life on fire, NIV. And it is set on fire, would you note it, Bible students, by Gehenna, by hell. The tongue is inspired by hell. Now we all know Satan is not literally in hell, but here Gehenna becomes a picture of Satan. He doesn't want to be in hell. Hell is the lake of fire. But hell is representative of Lucifer. It's representative of of Satan. And often Satan is behind the speech that causes the spark. In fact, in the garden, he said, did God really say? In the book of Job, we're in a Thursday Bible study and One of the guys that's been teaching the study, Todd, brought out that in the book of Job, when Job's wife says, curse God and die, and a lot of us have heard preachers say, thanks, honey, appreciate the encouragement. Curse God and die. Do you know that her words were actually what Satan wanted to do to Job? Satan said to God, you've had a hedge about this man. If you take the hedge down, he will what? Curse you to your face. Job's wife 
spoke Lucifer's words. Just curse God and die. Wow. And sadly, sometimes the words that come out of our mouth, take Peter, right after the great confession, you are the Christ, and the next moment he says, this is never going to happen. You're not going to the cross, Lord. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Our tongue can become a tool for good, and sometimes it can be literally satanic. And of course, yeah, that's good. Thank you for that. I'd like to hear, preach it, Pastor Michael. Preach it. Come on. Anyway, okay, all right, thanks. I just want to make sure I wasn't all alone up here. You see, the truth of the matter is that Satan, through doctrines of demons, through false teaching, through condemning words, that have often caused people to go to the edge, to lose their minds because of hurtful words. And sadly, and this is just reality, some people have, it's taken them right to the verge of suicide. It's hard. It corrupts the whole person. It defiles the entire body. And James says, this is not how things should be. Hell should have no place in the words that we speak. Satan, John 8, 44, Jesus called him the father of what? Lies. He's a liar. And so James says, every species of beasts and birds, verse 7, of reptiles, creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. God gave us uh, dominion, Genesis 1, 26, we have it over massive elephants. Think of the circus. We can train them to entertain lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, thank you. Killer whales. For some years ago, my lovely wife Brenda was, uh, what is it, SeaWorld? She was there when Shamu was around. And uh, he would come up out of the water and he would kiss somebody on the cheek. And so the, the person up there, you know, they picked Brenda because, of course, she's the most beautiful woman there. And they picked her, and uh, they said, okay, Shamu's going to come up and give you a kiss on the cheek. Just don't lean in. He'll come to you. So she said, she, she heard what he said, but she leaned in anyway. Shamu knocked my wife out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she didn't get knocked out. Just kidding. But, but he hit her a little harder than just a peck. That's a killer whale. See, Mankind, we have dominion. It's one of the signs that the Bible is true. It's a minor evidence, but we have dominion over animals that should be able to destroy us. Why? Because God's given mankind a special privilege. And we've been able to tame species of beasts, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea. There's even ancient pictographs of men riding dinosaurs back in the day. But no man, no one, anthropos, Verse 8 means no male, no female, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The tongue seems to be untamable. And this is where we could all resonate with this. No man can tame the tongue, but God can. Do you believe that? And 
If I allowed a line of people to come up here, if we had the time, it would be a wonderful testimony for each of you to come up and say, this is what's happened to my language as a result of knowing Christ. This is what he's done. He's, he's turned cursing into beauty, cursing into blessing. I think we all understand that. We've all admitted that we have a ways to go. But there are people that when they speak, their tongue gives them away. They have the poison of asp under their lips. Romans three thirteen. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Nothing good can come out. Proverbs eighteen twenty one says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Maybe you work with someone and, and they just have a filthy mouth and it's always innuendos and double entendres and, and you're like, man, and that's because garbage in, garbage out. And God is taking the garbage out of our lives. He's trying to make us more like him. And James says, maybe going back to the the setting of the assembly, which was the beginning of chapter 2, when a man walks into the church, he says, with this tongue, with this mouth, verse 9, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. We come into church on a Sunday morning. I know it's convicting, but here it is. James says it. And we bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. We glory in his name. And then we go out to lunch, and we say something like this. Did you see what so-and-so was wearing today? <laughs> and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Because we can start with, you know, Something where we nitpick a person that's a fellow brother or sister in Christ. Oh, I don't like this about that. I like this about that. And, 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 and another thing. And you just bless the Lord with this mouth. And then you curse people. And look, cursing is not just filthy language. It could include that. But here, it means to doom somebody. It's language of imprecation. It's to cast evil on somebody. To cast them to hell. I just wish that person would go to hell. It's to ask for them to be anathematized, for the divine judgment to come down on them. Yet they've been made in the image of Almighty God. And James said to us earlier, if you come into the assembly and you say to somebody, be warm and be filled, you, you can't even love them. You, you say you love God, but you hate them and you speak evil of them. How does the love of God abide in you? And James, again, puts the mirror up and says, take a look. What's your language look like this week? You bless God in church, but out of the same mouth come blessing, verse 10, and cursing. And then James says, and you can, you can feel this, my brethren, these things ought not to be this way. This is not the way things should be. This is not as it ought to be. This is almost like a Romans 7. The things that I want to say, I don't say. The things that I don't want to say, I do say. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this bondage of death? Oh, help me, Lord. 
I will tell you, if you want to take away from today, one takeaway is my tongue tells me I need a Savior. I need a Savior. Because Jesus said, by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And he said in another place, every idle word that a man has spoken, he will give an account for on the day of judgment. Just let that settle in for a second. Every idle word that a man has spoken, he will give an account for on the day of judgment. Have you ever wanted to say, quote that verse to a non-Christian friend? You know, every idle word that a man speaks, he'll give an account for. Now here's the good news. If you're a Christian, every idle word, stupid thing that you've said was nailed to the cross. Praise the Lord. I need a Savior. I need a Savior. And Jesus came to pay that ransom for all the wrong things that have come out of this mouth. Blessing and cursing. Double-mindedness, in essence. If a pattern of poison easily flows out of your mouth, James would say, take another look at who you are. Does a fountain, final few images and we're done. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? If you have an NIV, it says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Sometimes we say, is that the same person that I just heard praising God? And sometimes we, you know, some of you grew up with parents threatening to wash your mouth out with soap, right? Bring that dirty mouth over here. Let's scrub it for a while, right? Need some cleansing agents. Psalm 64, 2 and 3 says, Hide me from the secret, secret counsel of evildoers, from the tumult of those who do iniquity, who have sharpened their tongue like a sword. They aim bitter speech as their arrow. James moves from an uh, image of a spring or a brook with salt water and uh, fresh from bitter and uh, fresh to a fig tree. He says, Final verse for this morning. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives? Or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. Jesus said these words. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from the thorn bush, nor figs from thistles, are they? So even, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the tr- bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. I'm sure James probably heard Jesus preach that. And so he goes to these images. And so we, we end with some, a few application points as we prepare for communion. So what do I do now? I would say at the end of this service, probably the best thing to do is all of you walk out of here quietly. (laughs) I heard Alistair Begg preach on this, and he said this may be the quietest exit on a Sunday morning that's ever happened at Parkside Church. Everybody just kind of walk out like this. (laughs) We don't want you to do that. Here's what we're really saying, here's what James is saying. He's saying, look, we need a Savior. 
And once that Savior gets a hold of my life, he's conforming me into the image of himself, into the image of Christ. And part of that conforming is transforming not only my mind, but my mouth. So this week, I present my mouth to you, O Lord, to speak blessing, conform it. Maybe this week, a good prayer is just to say, uh, (laughs) and say, Lord, here it is. And then I think something else. It would be to watch your mouth. Because we have some responsibility here. It says, let no unwholesome speech come out of your mouth. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So watch your mouth this week. Maybe you'll find that you catch yourself going back to the same pattern, the same words, the same denigrating humor, and you stop yourself and you say, whoa, horse's bridle. And maybe you turn the ship in a positive direction. And maybe instead of jumping on board with everybody else's stupid statements, you say, you know what? How about this? And everybody's staggered. Who are you? Where'd you come from? And as we come to the table of the Lord, this is a wonderful time to re-consecrate everything that you are. When we take communion, the Lord invites us and he wants us to to remember him with the, the matzah and the juice. He wants us to remember what he did for us so that we could be free, so we could change, so we could use this most powerful instrument that we have for good, for blessing. And so when you come to the table of the Lord, and I know this room is filled with Christians, come to that table and say, Lord, If there's anything that you need to confess, if there's anything that you need to make right, if there's anything that you need to make amends for, come and say, Lord, touch me, change me from the inside out from this day forward. Let this mark a day when you consecrate your mouth to Jesus. Would you bow with me, Father? Thank you so much for the power of your word. Man, there's nothing like it. Thank you that you are a forgiving God. If you, O Lord, kept a record of my failures in this area, Lord, I could never stand. But with you, there is forgiveness. With you, amazing grace. Every wrong thing I've ever said, you have erased at the cross. And I'm so grateful, but yet we know there's an accountability going forward, Lord. There's a work you want to do. I'm going to ask to keep your head and heart bowed. And if you have not met Jesus, then your your idle words have not been forgiven. And you're going to have to answer for those. And you don't want to. You're getting a fresh maybe view of what the cross means. And you've not met the master. You've not met the Lord. This could be the most important moment of your life. Would you follow him? Would you ask him to be your Savior and your Lord?